0: He raved about Fordham and how the culture of the university was so wonderful. While I was in the military, I just kept thinking about what he said, and I reached out and found that they allowed me to, to apply, get accepted, and start my schooling um, through tuition assistance. So I was able to take classes while I was in the military.
1: I'm Kevin Christopher Robles. Today, Jill Rice and Nick Canapano give their thoughts as to why the Classics major is worth your attention. Then, Melanie Corinne lays out the veteran experience at Fordham and talks about the new veteran Center on campus. Finally, Pat Milquin discusses the worrying state of men's basketball at Fordham. This is Retrospect, the official podcast of the Fordham Observer. Joining me now is Jill Rice, copy editor. Accompanying her is former Classics minor Nick Catapano. Thank you both for joining us. It's
2: good to be here, thank you. <laughs> yeah.
1: So before we even get started, what led both of you to Classics?
3: Um, so I learned Latin from my mother back in sixth grade, and then um, I continued taking it through high school, and then it kind of taught me English grammar, and I want to be an editor in publishing or journalism. So Latin just taught me that.
2: Um. Uh, I wish I had a cool reason. I think I just played a video game one time and was enthralled by all the Latin and was just like, I want to learn this, and just sort of took it in high school and then just kept going from there.
1: Jill, talk to me about what the issue with classics is at Fordham.
3: So at Fordham, um, we really can't take many classics courses because they don't offer them, um, especially at Lincoln Center. So there's only four like full-time professors at Fordham total. So there's two at Rose Hill and two at Lincoln Center, which is a very, very small group of people. And so they can't offer courses at Lincoln Center. They barely offer courses at Rose Hill.
1: Something you also mentioned in the article is that Classics is kind of unknown at Fordham. Not a a lot of people know about it. Why do you think that is?
3: The same sort of thing, like how everyone doesn't know about it because we don't have many classes in it. Um, and, like, when you say classics, the word classic can refer to so many different things. Like, I, I was talking to somebody last week, and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm majoring in classics. And she was like, oh, is that a part of the English department? And I was like, no, no I'm, I mean classics like Greek and Latin, not classics like classical literature of the 18th and 19th century.
1: You also mentioned that it's something that is pretty easily dismissed by a lot of students at Fordham. Why do you think that is?
3: So I think that a lot of people dismiss it because many, a good number of Fordham students are as I said in the article, um, they graduated from Catholic school and a lot of them had to take Latin, so it's like, oh yeah I took Latin, now I don't have to anymore and I'm totally done with it so they just don't really care about it
2: I'm just, re- I'm just reading one particular excerpt of, of your piece, it really stuck out to me, the whole, it's very tongue in cheek of course that after all Latin isn't useful to a Jesuit Catholic school, there's no Latin in our school motto, no no, or are many of our majors based on classical ideas? So, um, what do you think? I guess the the loss of classics, like as it's gradually being phased out of the curriculum, like what kind of implications do you think that has?
3: They won't know the history of things, like how things progressed, especially in Western literature and stuff, Western thought. Um, you just won't understand how it's how it goes from point A to point B without having like this stuff that happened beforehand. So like, um A P World History, the high school course, um no longer does, no longer covers the ancient uh anything. So it used to start at, like ten thousand BC or something and now it starts at twelve hundred AD. Twelve hundred. Yes. Which is insane. And that's that's world history and they're supposed to teach you everything about the world. But if you don't know what happened before that has nothing to do with the fordom but. It's it's just bothering me. So
2: kind of indicative of a larger trend then yeah. just to miss out on about twelve hundred years of foundational history. Yes. Plus, right? Sort
1: of jumping off that, why do you think that there has been a move towards more recent history as opposed to actually starting with the origins of Western civilization?
3: It's important to teach modern history, of course. Because like things that have happened in the past hundred years have been change have changed the world and all that so that's important um but the way that a lot of courses are structured now as opposed to like 60 years ago is like they just teach you you know American history and you learn you know 1776 to the present and then you learn European history and it's from you know 1200 to the present but you don't learn how these things overlap and classics um you get the beginnings of it so then you get everything that happened after that and why they all contribute to each other and, so, and you learn how the world kind of connects when you learn all of history as opposed to just you know this one segment and then oh yeah maybe this connects to that.
1: It sort of begs the question that it's all very interesting stuff it's all stuff that anyone who has an interest in history would definitely want to learn. Why do you think it is that people are moving away from classics and do you think that it has to do with a sort of lack of practical application for the major?
3: Um, I think that people can think that there's not a lot of practical application because a lot of times people, the people who major in classics, end up being professors or like museum curators, and that's about it. I think that you can apply it with a lot more stuff. So like a lot of classics majors are actually lawyers. So my mom wants me to be a lawyer. I don't want to be a lawyer. Um, so I want to go into publishing, into editing. So the yeah, the reason I know English grammar the way I do is. Because of Latin, because I learned what the words actually meant and how they actually fit together. So it has a lot more practical applications than what you'd think, like poli sci, philosophy, any of that.
2: Uh, classics has constantly been known, sort of um, largely as a very patriarchal field. Um, but very recently, I think there's news that I think Stephanie McCarter, if I have her name right, or McCartner, is actually going to become the first woman to publish all of Ovid's Metamorphoses, for example, um, into English, which is a Monumental achievement. If you were to take that route, for example, become a uh, publisher or like a translator in that aspect, like what does it mean to you to be sort of a, a trailblazing figure in that regard?
3: Um, I think that the it's. Uh, I did a project last semester on um, sort of basing it off of uh, the woman who translated. Um, You know the one who's really popular on Twitter? I don't remember her name.
1: Emily Wilson? Yes,
3: Emily Wilson. Mm -hmm. Um, Emily Wilson's translation of the Greek stuff.
1: Yeah. uh, She just did the Odyssey, I think, last year. Yeah.
3: It was pretty recent. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I kind of based this project that I did off of that and how, um, like, when... As a, as a woman, she was looking at the implications of the words in Greek. A lot of the words, like the way that they were used when translated by male translators were like, oh yes, and the man did this in his, like his companions as opposed to some other word that she ended up using. And she was like, this is, this is a more woke translation. I don't know. <laughs> um, I don't know that I would want to go into that, mm-hmm. but I think it is very interesting and my professor right now, Dr. Wright, is um, really into all that. Like, uh, We're doing Roman love poetry, so we're looking a lot into like the gender and sexuality of ancient Greece and ancient Rome, which is crazy, eye-opening, Catullus. To
1: say the least, yes. <laughs> yeah. With all of this, it sort of sounds like classics actually has a lot more in common with fields like Gender studies and with what's happening now in literature, where things are being reevaluated from queer perspectives and feminist perspectives and perspectives that ordinarily wouldn't have been heard from the academic establishment. So, do you think that that's a way to sort of help people become more interested in the classics?
3: I think that classics is a lot more accessible to the marginalized peoples, just more than you'd think, and it does connect to like women's and gender studies and everything more than you'd think because especially because the greeks and the romans had a very different idea of sexual identity than what we have today like there was no heterosexual homosexual sort of thing it was just like as a young man you were attractive to older men as an older man you liked younger men but you also had a wife so it was just like it was just a thing that happened you know um, so there's, there's this whole dynamic there, which is crazy. And it's really interesting. And you don't hear a lot about it, um, especially from the sources from, like, the 1800s, because, you know, that's totally taboo. Sorry to bring
1: it back to Fordham specifically. Do you have any final thoughts on, like, how Fordham can ensure that students are more knowledgeable about classics? Because it sounds like there's a lot there to like and a lot that it just isn't being communicated about it.
3: I like the way that, I mean, I, yeah, my Latin professor, I've talked about him like four times now. He's great. He's teaching a gender or race and ethnicity in ancient, in the ancient world, I think, which is obviously important and it fulfills some sort of requirements. But if, just if these classes were more available, if they had more professors, if he were a full time professor, Um, This is a hint that they should hire full-time. If they they had more full-time professors like that who are more interested in that sort of thing, because the rest of them are, not to say that they're bad because I love them, but they're old, so they're not talking about this sort of thing as much as the younger people are. And those sort of classes would be really interesting to a lot more diverse group of people from Fordham, not just the people who actually want to take classics, but like the people in women's and gender studies, the people in poli-sci, the people in some sort of science class, you know?
2: Uh, Nick, do you have any final thoughts? Classics is cool, and Jill is amazing. That's really all I, that's really all I got, honestly. I, I love this article, and I, I found this really, I, I mean, part of it's, a, you know, it's like a former classics minor, and that's some, the only really qualifying thing I have to be <laughs> up here right now. It's, um, it's, a lot of this is striking very close to home, you know? Um, you just feel like every once in a while that, you know, more can be done to really promote such a, a wide and rich field yeah. that just uh, stuff isn't really getting tapped into for one reason or another. Uh, and I really felt like uh, Jill's op-ed really hits that in a new way. So thank you. For it. Thank you. And thank you both for coming on. Thank you. Thanks. Appreciate it.
1: is Melanie Corinne, a veteran attending Fordham University. Thanks for joining us.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: So Melanie, tell me about what you're here to talk to me about today.
0: So Fordham has a relatively new as of fall 2019 veteran center and our old veteran center was in Maritina Hall and it was pretty much the size of a broom closet and it was pretty difficult to service the over 400 veteran students that we have here at Fordham. So we, as of now, have a new veteran Center in the Gabelli building. It's room 145 and you are welcome and anyone else is welcome to come by and grab coffee anytime.
1: So what does the Veterans Center do?
0: The Veterans Center is run by Matt Butler who's Fordham's Director of Military and Veteran Affairs and it provide services to veteran students that have to do with the GI Bill. We can facilitate Um, Any issues or questions with the VA and how they handle the GI Bill financing of tuition, um, we can, we will certainly refer them to um, our wonderful school certifying officials that deal with the VA and the paperwork for that, Mara Saumel and um, Seton Heslin scott Um, They're wonderful certifying officials. We help veterans with job placement, professional development, and all around helping them transition back to civilian life and succeed in school. Um, it provides a place to hang out. And t- also, honestly, it would be great if more non-veterans came by for that free coffee.
1: <laughs> so in general, what would you say is the relationship between non-veteran and veteran students on campus? And how does the Veterans Center sort of help facilitate communication?
0: Veteran students come in, they're a little, a little bit older from their time in service. So there's, I mean, certainly not a generational gap, but there are certain like priorities for both groups um I think veterans aren't necessarily going to under like the 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 veteran students and traditional students are not always going to understand each other's perspectives right off the bat but I think that there's honestly a lot more to gain by integrating and the thing is veterans tend to stick within other groups of other veterans which is a shame because for example if I want to learn to be a journalist you know the best way I'm gonna learn that is from my traditional student counterparts like yourself at the Observer or at the RAN, like all these different places. So you um I think by and large it's something that can be mutually beneficial.
1: What sort of programs does the Veteran Center provide?
0: So on top of helping with the GI Bill questions and any issues with that and housing we can help with too with um recommendations, there's also we have a student veteran, Rami, who works there as a career services liaison. the Veterans Center also is always posting veteran-oriented um, opportunities, like our four-block classes and Edge for Vets classes, which will allow veterans to interact with high-level executives at various Fortune 500 companies. And it really helps facilitate networking that veterans might not otherwise get. They also work with uh, seamlessly with the Student Veterans of America at Fordham, um, of which I'm also the treasurer, but Julia Werner is the president. Um, we have a lot of really hardworking people. That team works seamlessly with the Vet Center staff to provide events for students. We do a fall and a spring social um, that usually has an open bar and, you know, normal veteran military tradition. <laughs> um. Ashley,
1: let's talk about you briefly for a moment. So can you talk about what your role was in the military and how you came to Fordham?
0: Sure. I was an Arabic linguist. Um, I was in the Marine Corps, and I did a lot of Arabic translation. <laughs> um, it was uh, It's part of the intelligence community, and that was really fun, a really high-pressure job. But I met a lot of great people, learned so much, and um, I actually before even going into the military had had a Jesuit, not actually not a Jesuit, a, a Franciscan um, professor who though not a Jesuit also taught here. And um, he taught sociology at the community college I attended and he raved about Fordham and how the culture of the university was so wonderful. While I was in the military, I just kept thinking about what he said and I reached out and found that they allowed me to to apply, get accepted and start my schooling um, through tuition assistance. So I was able to take classes while I was in the military. Um, and I really appreciated the support, the administration at the, the, from the school, the professional and continuing studies, Lincoln Center. Um, everyone was really supportive and helpful. So I knew it was a seamless transition to come here after I um, left the military. And I've not regretted it at all.
1: <laughs> in general, how would you characterize the veteran experience here at Fordham?
0: It's really, really unique even in New York City where there are so many options. Um, you have such a tight crew of hardworking people that really care about taking care of each other um, and serving the veterans in this community. from the administrators, from the students themselves like everyone is so supportive the corporate partners and every anyone that um, volunteers to come to these different events to support us these, panels, these um, socials, like it's, it's a very warm community and Fordham as an institution really puts its money where its mouth is when it comes to taking care of veterans and making sure they're set up um, for their future because as a yellow ribbon school, Fordham will augment the GI Bill so that veterans can leave without debt, which is different than how other universities in New York are doing the yellow ribbon program. Um, you can still leave Columbia, for example, or NYU with debt. So Fordham really steps up their game there, and they really are very – I mean, even the courses, if you're a veteran coming to study one specific thing, Fordham's going to make sure you have that cura personalis and that you get a well-rounded education, whether you like it or not. (laughs) And you'll be better for it, so –
1: do you have any stand-up memories from your time here at Fordham relating to the Veterans Center or being a veteran in general?
0: Yeah, I remember on my first day of orientation meeting our current president Julia and seeing our you know our director Matt Butler give amazing presentations very informative. Um, I really felt like there was a strong support structure and and you know before I went to go home I just mentioned offhand, because I commute from, you know, from Long Island, it's very far. It's almost a two-hour commute. Um, and I mentioned, you know, I really need a place to stay just one night a week when I get out of class at, like, 9:45, like, or, eight, you know, very late. I was like, I don't want to take the two-hour trip, just to come back early in the morning for an 8, cl- eight, 8 a.m. class. And I had three uh, service members, you know, three Fordham students just turned to me, and they're like, you can stay with me. Like, I had just met them that day, and it just goes to show you that that is like the sort of commitment that and, and bond you can make with someone like you don't know they're you know you don't know much about them but they're there for you for no reason because you both served and that's really powerful so I remember being so nervous about that came to Fordham had this wonderful orientation just instantly the community was there for me and so like one of those people that offered like I there's some of my really good friends now.
1: So, Melanie, do you have any final thoughts?
0: Yes, I do. I hope everyone can take the time to come get some free coffee at the Veterans Center and make some new friends and teach us some cool things about your major or what you're teaching and maybe ask us some questions. I mean, honestly, we don't bite and we'd love to have more non-veterans come in and hang out. It's a nice space and honestly, everyone is welcome there.
1: Thank you so much for coming on.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Joining me now is Patrick Moquin, sports and health editor for The Observer. Thanks for joining us.
4: Nice to be here, Kevin.
1: So, Pat, talk to me about men's basketball and what's wrong with it at Fordham.
4: Uh, Well, I've been covering men's basketball extensively in recent weeks. Uh, I recently wrote an article about um, several top players since 2013 transferring from the school at various points in their college careers. Uh, But there's been more pressing news in recent days on Sunday, uh, Fordham played against St. Louis University, the Billikens, and they lost by a score of 55-39. to 39. Um, This is a score under 40 points, and that has not happened since 2004. and It's the third time that it's happened in the 21st century.
1: Why do you think it is that Fordham's basketball team is doing so poorly?
4: Um, I think it's a progression. I think losing Nick Honor last year was a big hit, for the team in general and they've just failed to really regroup themselves this year they're currently one in six in their conference and without that top star um, clearly their plan was to revolve their team around Nick Honor who was a freshman when he left
1: and Nick Honor wasn't the only player in recent history that left right I think the most notable player to have left Fordham was Eric Pascal who left in 2014 and transferred to Villanova and currently is now starting for the Golden State Warriors.
4: Uh, yes, he was starting for the Golden State Warriors. Um, yes, he, he played for us his freshman year under coach Tom Pecora. Tom Pecora had recruited him, and then Tom Pecora was fired after the 2015 season. The 2014-15 season was a very hopeful one for Fordham. They had three star players, new players, in John Sevier, Antoine Anderson, and Eric Paschal. Um They also had a, a junior star, Mandel Thomas, but um, the season went poorly. They went 10-21. and 21. The coach was fired, and Eric Pascal, who had just been recruited by Pecora, went to Jay Wright, who Pecora coincidentally coached under at Hofstra.
1: Talk to me about Fordham's current basketball coach. Uh,
4: the current basketball coach is Jeff Neubauer. Um, Jeff Neubauer has been coaching since the 2015-16 season. He recorded a winning record in his first season, but has not recorded a winning record since.
1: Recently, there have been calls for Newbauer to be removed from the position of basketball coach do you have any thoughts on that
4: Um, of course when a team isn't doing poorly they're going to go after the coach and after several years you would like for one of the more higher paid employees at Fordham University to produce results for the team and he has failed to do that yet despite having talent throughout his tenure
1: What's the next step? What can we do going forward to make sure that Fordham begins to become competitive in the A-10 again?
4: It's very difficult, the problem they have, because um, as my transfer article has noted, many players use Fordham as a stepping stone, particularly in their senior year, and that's a very difficult problem to fix. It really only comes with a successful program, which we don't have. Players would rather um, compile stats and experience here and then look for success elsewhere later on so it's, very, it's a very difficult problem that Fordham has to deal with, and it really only comes with a significant change in the level that they play at currently.
1: At the same time, you also say in the article that people shouldn't necessarily begrudge student-athletes because they transfer to other schools, right?
4: Uh, no, absolutely not, and that's the gist of the article, is that I think often, because we have a Fordham bias as fans of the team, that we're um, more inclined to blame the players for leaving. But... If you look at any of these players, Chartouni, Pascal, Anderson, any of these players, they played under these teams with the hopes of succeeding. And when that doesn't happen, and you're going into your senior year, and you have, a, you have one year left on eligibility, and you have to play it for Fordham, a team that has lost every season that you've been with them, you can't really blame the player for looking for, to go look for success elsewhere. It's just like a job opportunity.
1: As someone who is an authority on sports at Lincoln Center, what would you personally like to see happen with the team going forward?
4: Uh, first of all, I'm flattered to be called an authority for sports at Ford and Lincoln Center. Uh, I'm not necessarily going to take the compliment, but I, I will hear it. Um, what I'd like to see from men's basketball, they don't even have to be successful right out of the gate. They just have to at least show potential. And again, they are doing that. There are some, There is freshman talent that they're currently developing around, but they have to continue that effort. They have to continue to recruit. They have to continue to try to build a team and retain these players that they've been losing in recent years.
1: I think we'd also be remiss, since we're talking about basketball, not to mention the recent passing of Kobe Bryant. Do you have any thoughts after the passing of a basketball legend like him?
4: Uh, Of course. um, Kobe Bryant, um, his connection to Fordham was obviously a tepid one. Uh, He doesn't necessarily have a connection to our sports culture, but any fan of basketball or sports in general knows who Kobe Bryant is. Uh, His um, passing was premature, as certainly was his daughter's. Um, He'll certainly be missed, and I'm sure that there are basketball players, both men and women's, at Fordham that use Kobe Bryant as inspiration for their own careers, and he'll certainly be missed in that regard.
1: So you mentioned the passing of his daughter, Gigi Bryant. And as many of us at this school know, one of our best performing teams is our women's basketball team. Do you think that this news affects them particularly hard?
4: I think it's certainly uh, Gigi Bryant, along with many other women's basketball players. Women's basketball is a sport that's on the rise in recent years. um, And Fordham, I think, is very emblematic of that. I think the the success of the women's basketball team, not only within the school but nationally, has been um, a testament to the success and um, just support that women's basketball has received in recent years. And I think Gigi Bryant could have been a pioneer in a time um, where women's basketball is on the rise. And I think um, her passing is just as unfortunate for the sport as Kobe's passing was.
1: Do you have any final thoughts, Pat?
4: Um, I think uh, in regards to women's basketball, I think they're fighting for the title right They are fighting for the title in the Atlantic 10 right now. And uh, fans should absolutely go out and support them. And in terms of men's basketball, I wouldn't necessarily recommend patience for the team, but I would certainly not stop attending. I certainly wouldn't stop um, supporting the team, uh, no matter how poorly they're doing. Um, any support, negative or positive, just to pay attention to the sport in general is important for the Fordham community.
1: Thanks again for coming on, Pat. Thank you. This has been Retrospect. I'm Kim Christopher Robles. See you next time.